Welcome to Chucked. I'm Austin Charles, and back with me today is Charles Braxton, back from vacation, uh, looking tan. Still oh. holding it three weeks later, which is a minor miracle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the place of the no sun. Yeah, how how was the vacation? How What uh, what did you guys do? What did you it was mom good. Do? Sherry and I were in Hilton Head for a week. What was that, the first week of April? And... Um, yeah, we we are the most boring people on vacation. So the most exciting thing we do is go to Barnes and Noble in the evenings and hang out and mm-hmm. drink coffee and read. So yeah, we did that. Found a couple new restaurants that were really nice. Um, it was good. It was really good. Needed to get away. I gotta stay on a teacher's schedule, so I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't really. I get away in July and I get away in spring break. And that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so mm-hmm. uh, people give me grief for how much I'm gone, and I think, really, do you really, you know, do you really keep track of how much I'm actually? The average gone? South Brooker comes what two weekends a month. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, if you happen to hit when I'm not here, you know, you hit when I'm not here. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyhow, it's good to get away. It's good to be back. And mm-hmm. into the series, I lost my faith. Yeah. Um, it's fun doing that. Getting a lot of response. Mm-hmm. Uh. You know, it's a different take on it. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited about that. Good. Did you listen to the podcast? And I sure did. did yeah. How that did Fleming good. hold up? Did he hold his, uh, hold his weight? Boy, the Flemster pulled, he pulled his weight really well. He did yeah. a good job. He's, he he's a man. Um, I told him we'll have to have him on, uh, you know, just do a, have him on before the end of the season. Yeah, we'll, we'll have just him on do again, that. Three yeah. of us. Yeah, I would agree. He's a natural at it. He's a natural, you know, you two together have great chemistry and mm-hmm. he's just a natural at it, you know, he's, he's a yapper. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good yeah. yapper. And, uh, and, yeah. uh, you and he could talk about sports mm-hmm. all day long and, mm-hmm. and scripture. So that's a good yeah, combination. Very, very smart guy. That's yeah. He's a bright dude. Plum shady. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. A, he is a bright dude. Game fives tonight. What do you feel yeah. about that? Game five versus Anything uh, can happen. Pacers, Cavs. They could win by 20. They could beat by 20. Mm-hmm. Or they could be ahead by 20 and lose by one. Yeah, that third quarter trips them up. <laughs> Jeez. Mm-hmm. That's, I, you know, the thing about the taste of a championship, it just raises your expectations. Mm-hmm. I'll take that any day. The positive thing is it's not you look around the rest of the playoffs I mean the rest of the teams there's no no, that's right. no one's no one you know I mean mm-hmm. the Sixers have played well but they, they were hot coming into the playoffs and but you know Houston dropped a game Golden State dropped a game um, yeah. Boston dropped two in a row Toronto dropped two in a row yeah nobody's I mean, distinguishing themselves mm-hmm. at all yeah yep but, uh, um, and yeah. then the Super Bowl's Thursday night, the Cleveland Browns Super Bowl is Thursday night. <laughs> that's our Super Bowl. Uh, that's our Super Bowl night. It's <laughs> the highlight of our year. It's yeah. all downhill from there. Mm. It's I a, have a feeling they're not going to get Saquon Barkley. And I just – look how Ezekiel Elliott turned around the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Look at the difference when he's not in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care what you say. You still got to run the ball in northern – North and the Mason Dixon line in November, December. You when know? you're when you're as bad as the Browns are, you don't draft the best. You know, I, got, I think the normal draft procedure would be you draft the best player available for the position that you need to fill. Mm-hmm. When you're as bad as the Browns are, you draft the best player available. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. It doesn't matter if you have Bo Jackson in the backfield. You know, the, the, the best player is running back. Just draft him. You know. Yeah. So I wish they would. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll surprise uh, maybe us. So I don't think. I don't know. I've seen more people saying that the Giants are going to pick Barkley at number two if the Browns mm-hmm. don't take him at number one. And mm-hmm. this is this is no. There's no great. It doesn't seem to be a great quarterback mm-hmm. in the in the top four. Yeah. So, and you can get Baker Mayfield. The fact that there's four, such debate debate about those all those quarterbacks. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the word is that they're looking heavily at Baker Mayfield. And if that's the case, you can get him at four, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but that also may be a smokescreen. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of fibbing going on this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> in the NFL, a lot of a lot of Adam Schefter sources telling him. <laughs> Mel Kiper. <laughs> Mel Kiper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yep. The uh, one thing we haven't talked about that we're going to talk about today is some news that broke a few weeks ago that hits certainly close to home, which is uh, the news about Bill Hybels in Willow Creek um, and what went on there. The basically um, a uh, handful of Willow Creek's female leaders, including. Um, or a handful of people that have been involved in Willow Creek um, in the last 20 years or so, Jan and Na- John and Nancy Ortberg, um, the Mulattoes family, mm-hmm. and... Um, Jim and Jean Miato. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Beach have come forward with... Fonda Dyer. Uh, alleged behavior that included uh, suggestive comments, extended hugs, and unwanted kiss, and uh, invitations to hotel rooms also included an allegation of a prolonged consensual affair with a married woman who later said her claim about the affair was not true. Um, first, for listeners that don't know, what um, kind of give some some backstory on how much Willow Creek and Bill Hybels has mm-hmm. has influenced Southbrook. Yeah, um, my generation of church leaders would. Um, would, many would put Bill Hybels at the top of the list of influence. My my, my uh, relationship with Willow Creek, so to speak, goes back to the 80s when um, I was given some tapes of a conference they were doing. They used to do the CLC, the Church Leadership Conference. And uh, they used to do training, and that really formed my perspective that the church had to change its methods. Mm-hmm. That the message remained the same, but the methods had to change. And when I had the opportunity to come here, we, you know, we were just starting out, and I modeled um, a lot of, you know, we modeled a lot of our structure, a, a lot of our um, um, verbiage, a lot of our methodology. Off, uh, you know, after Willow Creek's lead, and and then we, you know, we eventually became our own. You know, like a kid that grows up, a church is like that. You grow up and you're no longer just doing everything that, uh, you know, your dad or mom did. But um, they've had a tremendous influence. We've sent hundreds and hundreds of people there for training down through the years. Uh, obviously, now we're a host of the Global Leadership Summit, which is put on by the Willow Creek Association. It was established, I think it was in 1994. So there's just... Um, you know, I've been personally influenced by Bill Hybels. Um, our staff knows their, some of their staff. And, uh, you know, it's just a very, very emotional situation. Mm-hmm. We are, 
you know, myself, Fred Brooks, and many are grieving this um, on so many planes. Uh, and um, I don't know that I've been a part of, not, not that I'm a part of this, but observe something more confusing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I've been in a grief phase for the last month since this came out. I Bill would be with Bob Russell, the two people that never would have thought this kind of a story would emerge from. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, having said that, I, I'm, and I realize everybody has feet of clay. So, on, you know, once you get over the initial shock, any, 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 the person who doesn't think they can fall mm -hmm. is the person who's going to fall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm rambling, but there's just, there's just, it is a very, very uh, grievous subject matter, mm -hmm. which makes it good to talk about. Yeah. Because there are so many lessons to be learned. First, I had, like, I'm, I'm drawn to just asking you what your opinion is on did he do it or not. I think it's, I think there's a, I think that's, um, that's a little quick to just ask that question of, yeah, did, you know, do you think he did it or not? What's your opinion? Ask someone's opinion on this, especially when this, it's, it, I was thinking this morning about it, and it's funny how in a situation like this, we uh, place real legal judgment and um, legal verbiage to, to this whole thing, innocent or guilty, mm -hmm. when... Um, we know we've talked about uh, things that are morally right and wrong are f a lot of times se far separate from uh, the legal or illegal. Mm -hmm. It's a different conversation, but mm -hmm. but when it comes to um, something like this that involves a charismatic, um, authoritative male and and others below him or or women, um, it all of a sudden we we don't we don't see the difference between what our kind of our, our moral judgment is and we go straight to did he do it or didn't he mm -hmm. is he is he innocent is, is he guilty he, yeah. you know and um so i guess i i guess to ask that why is that why do we why do we do that i i, I in thinking through this you know with, with in timothy with um deacons and elders and and james with teachers there is this uh, those who have too much is given, what is required, and they're, you know, the, I think those scriptures implied more judgment for someone who mm -hmm. is of authority, mm -hmm. um, more examination. But mm -hmm. why, why are we so quick to just, um, because it, it is a, it is a, there's no evidence of any of this stuff really. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, word, it's as gray yeah. as gray gets. It's, so why do we jump straight to, innocent or guilty with something like this. I think people want certainty with these matters, you know. So when when we you know we our brains are wired to go binary on on things and that and that doesn't necessarily mean that's good decision making. Mm -hmm. Binary when it doesn't have to be is not good decision making. And our our I I you said it well, our brains go to that binary guilty or innocent. Mhm. Mm when many situations are much more nuanced than that, you know. 
does that come from that we so have so abandoned relying on our moral and spiritual compass that guides us that we constantly have to fall back on what does the law say? What is the, how does the law taught us? What is, and we have to rely on just um, legal language or um, uh, even how we interact with even coworkers or relationships of, mm-hmm. do I like this coworker or not? Mm-hmm. It's not, well, there are redeemable parts about him and there are right. regrettable parts about him or um, it's, it is binary. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think to answer your question, I think yes. We when you know where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in other words, um, you know when Paul says in Galatians five, he lists the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So you have people operating on planes of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There's no law that can legislate better than that. Hmm. So in the absence of, of people who are led by the Spirit, which the, the, the fundamental law of the Spirit is love, I would never want to do anything that would jeopardize someone else's identity, character, etc. So I won't go into that behavior because I love people or I love my wife or whatever. There's no law that can legislate better than that. Mm. But in the absence of that, yeah, then we have to go into the legal guardrails mm-hmm. that say you, you know, you know, it makes it easier to thumbs up or thumbs down on on people and behaviors and such and. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I, I want to come back to to that. Um, thinking through this this morning, I kind of came around to something similar, and I want to come back to that first. It might have been the week before all, the Chicago Tribune broke this huge na- national um, article about Bill Hybels and Willow Creek, um, the Gospel Coalition came out with an article uh, about the pattern among fallen pastors. The image in the article is um, the famous image of the uh, the boats pulling up to Normandy, where so many men just lost their lives instantly of just this, the minute that door open, opened and um, they stepped into the water. The study exam, they did, it's an article about a study, um, the study examined 246 men in full-time ministry who experienced moral failure within a two-year period. These full-time clergy were born-again followers of Jesus. They shared a common salvation. These men also shared a common feat of devastation. They had all, within 24 months of each other, been involved in an adulterous relationship. Now, first, uh, the adultery part of Bill Hybels' mm-hmm. um, story is that's been um, confirmed that it's not true. Right, it's, it's, but either way, there's there's been a, uh, how would you say it, uh, some kind of moral A moral lacking. fall, yeah. 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 Um, after interviewing each man, Hen- Hendricks, the guy who did the study, compiled four common characteristics of their lives. None of the men was involved in any kind of real personal accountability. Each of the men had all but ceased having a daily time of personal prayer, Bible reading, and worship. More than 80% of the men became sexually involved with the other woman after spending significant time with her, often in counseling situations. You can 
put in work situations relating to yourself. Without exception, each of the 246 had been convinced that the sort of, this sort of fall would never happen to me, in quotes. As I reflected this study, the writer says, four lessons come to mind. These are applicable for pastors, plumbers, and stay-at-home moms, and anyone else who seeks to follow Christ. Sin thrives in isolation. If you flirt with sin, you will fall into sin. Pride blinds us to our weaknesses. Purity is cultivated by a loving Jesus. So coming back to what you said about Galatians and love. He goes on to say, somewhere along the line, each of these men uh, in their study began to drift. Um, going, going into his second trait, he pattern he recognized, each of the men had ceased having daily time of personal prayer, Bible study, and reading and worship. So I'm thinking, so you bring up, I'm thinking of this, that love is greater than law. Mm-hmm. And so kind of breaking down what love is, and that Jesus' final commandment in Matthew 22, that to love God, to love your neighbor, how he qualifies loving God is loving with heart, soul, and mind. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I was a, a, a few weeks ago, I was thinking through Matthew 22 and the, those, that commandments, and obviously it, you can brush by that it is of why he puts love God before loving others. Because maybe because of how obvious it is, mm-hmm. but so I made a look at what does it look like? What does that look like? Loving God and loving others. So there's there's knowledge of loving God and practicing loving God, and there's knowledge of loving others and practice of loving others. I think Christians are very on ob- observation alone. Christians are very they have a great understanding knowledge of how to love others, and if you rank all that what they have the most is just understand we all even if we're not christians we understand what it looks like to love your neighbor right mm-hmm. idealistically what that looks like do we practice it that's another thing but we probably practice and certainly understand loving others practicing that out more than understanding the knowledge of loving god and the practice of loving god and it is interesting that he that jesus to me it always stands out it's heart soul but, but mine too, mm-hmm. of, of, of investing in knowing, um, knowing God, that that is a part of love. It's, that's, what, that's what I hear all over. That's what made me think of it, to look into this a few weeks ago, is, is this series, I Lost My Faith. And the balance of knowledge and emotion and knowledge and feeling, understanding and feeling. Mm-hmm. And what I see in Matthew 22, what I'm hearing as a, as a component in one of these patterns of fallen pastors, I don't know if it applies to Bill Hybels or not, um, are seasons where are any of these fallen pastors? They're probably they probably understand what it's like to love people. They're probably pretty good at it too. But what is above loving others? What does Jesus list first? It's loving God. Mm-hmm. And what is loving God? It's a knowledge of who God is and a practice of that. And it's no wonder when that is probably the knowledge of loving God and the practice of loving God is probably in most of our lives. I see it in mine. I see it in others is placed below in priority because it's not as socially um, welcome. Yeah. (laughs) As knowing how to love people, serving Mm -hmm. people, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. Um, And, uh, and, and practicing that out. Yeah. You know, where that comes into play is, is by living in a, in Galatians 5, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. 
and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So when I live a life that's practicing the presence of God, one of the offensive powers that has is is this. I think it was Thomas Carlyle who said, maybe one Carlyle, he said, at the moment where I give in to temptation, I am in that moment an atheist. Mm. In other words, you, if like you were standing in front of Jesus, you wouldn't just out and out lie to someone or you wouldn't commit you know, defraud someone or you would, you just wouldn't do like, like, you knowing he could read your mind, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't commit sexual sin right in front of Jesus. You wouldn't, no one would do that, right? I mean, no one would do that. But in that moment where I give in, I am in that moment an atheist. I have eliminated the presence of God from my mind so that I can compartmentalize this behavior out of his presence. And I think that is where that comes into play. Um, with our behaviors. You see, the way you define it in the problem of evil, where you'll be able to word this far better than I can, um, but the, you know, if there's evil, then there's no God. You know? mm-hmm. um, I've been looking at the, the three um, imperative words, penal substitutionary atonement in the last couple of weeks, and and really trying to understand that um, through that, it's and it, it goes back to you. I love God more for looking deeply of what does penal substitutionary atonement mean. And looking at that, I learned so much more about the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And this cup, this wrath that was poured out on Jesus, and this the Psalm twenty two he quotes, and, it, and it's just this. this uh, and Fleming and I were actually talking about this the other day, mm-hmm. um, that that God couldn't be in this in the presence of the sin that was making up Jesus at that moment, and He left Him. I think that and I, and I hear that in the in, your, in the problem of evil a few weeks back. I hear that in what you're saying now, and that uh, that that Carlyle quote of um, such holiness, the holiness cannot be in the presence of of, um, of 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 any kind of sin not just any such sin but um, so. well and sin can't be in the presence of holiness either so that's the other side to this is when I'm doing things that I know transgress the moral code I start avoiding God mm-hmm. I start finding reasons not to meet God in the holy place because there's a glaring light in there that sheds illumination on my flaws. Let me ask you this. Is the going to the, the knowledge and practice of loving God and the time that, and the methods in which one is doing that through study, through scripture, through solitude, through prayer, through worship, through learning, is that, do you see that in your life as more of a defense? This This kind of savings account you're building up for when rainy day hits that you can fall back on or is that or is it more proactive than that is it a shield or is it an arrow basically yeah i i would say it's both uh using the imagery of ephesians 6 and the and the the armor of god there's so much of that armor that's defensive um you know i've always had a fear that that day would come i've always had that fear like 
that one of these times I'm going to be put in a situation that's going to test my faith. It's going to test my character. And I haven't had that yet, but I think I do live in a preparation for that all the time. And any any time that I would compromise my character in the smallest way, I'm weakening that defense, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think I'm building up defenses all the time for that. Even in Ephesians six, he says, "So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground." Hmm. Doesn't say if. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. say if. It says when. Hmm. So, uh, you know, for me, I think it, yeah, I think it is defensive. The offensive part is my relationship with your mom. That's the offensive part. Hmm. In Proverbs it says, "Drink water from your own cistern." You know, have a relationship with your wife, your spouse, that is nourishing and enriching and, you know, and that's, that's the offensive part, mm. is uh, putting her first and nurturing that relationship. And the people that I've known that have fallen, they had uh, very contentious, resentment-based relationships with their spouse there um there was a there was not a warmth to that relationship and i think that left them susceptible mm. to moral failure the human heart will be known you know the mm. human heart will be known it'll find a way it's like dr ian e. malcolm in jurassic park life finds a way mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. The heart finds a way to connect, and uh, yeah, that I've seen I've seen that repeatedly. The characteristic of a of a very tepid marital relationship. Mm. It's funny; it's not in there. You know, I guess that's that's a different demographic as married pastors or not. But that that does seem like a very uh, yeah. As far as relation to the to a, a crisis that someone's going yeah. through is is what do their other relationships look like? Yeah, and I would you know again I would put on that too. The accountability is an issue. Certainly, check. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's a big deal. The, the what pastors don't feel the freedom to do is to is to express their flaws. And and if we do, we almost express them like it's virtuous to do so. Mm. So you have to have people that you can say, guys, here's the worst side of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've had uh, relationships with people for a long time that I can do that with. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, for me. That's been a huge key to maintaining my sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that? So I don't know if you call it, you know, accountability, whatever. Accountability gets becomes a trick because if you know you're in it, you can start conning that game too. It's I would say transparency and vulnerability mm-hmm. and authenticity are to some extent are absolute and essentials. And you know, the key to life is sincerity. Once you've learned to fake that, you've got it made. You know, <laughs> you, you can fake that too. It's yeah. it's it's a real trick. Uh, if you're not an integrated person that doesn't have selves all over the place, but has a self that's integrated, you know, you're just prey to manip- to conning the system. Mm-hmm. even if you do have accountable relationships. The best thing that you've ever said about me, and you said it a few weeks ago, that I hope this is that my dad was the same in public as he was at home. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing you've ever said about me. I tried to be. Mm-hmm. 
I've always tried to be the same person. I don't not. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, man, that's such a key because so many pastors' kids have seen, man, my dad's this way in public, and then at home, mm-hmm. you know, he's a hellion. Mm-hmm. He's angry. He's whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that uh, that on that list, that's a big one. Uh, I, I and I question some of the guys that I've known that have fallen. I question whether they were they were able to be genuinely authentic. Just, just be real about, you know, your flaws and and as much as any pastor I know I, at this church, I've been able to be myself. Every once in a while, really holy people come along. They try to make you feel like you're inadequate mm-hmm. for being yourself. When I was doing that Jesus the Competitor series, Pete Creamer told me that he had a, a church leader tell him one time at his church. You'd be a better preacher. You'd be a better pastor if you weren't an athlete. Ooh. Mm-hmm. In other words, you need to quit sports because you're competitive. And mm-hmm. you want to know why pastors crash? That's why pastors crash is they can't be fully themselves. So I, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean it just like my flaws. I mean my quirks. You mm-hmm. got to be a little weird to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know another pastor in the world that we're sitting in my office and it's decorated with shark stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know another one, another pastor, and and I'm able to be that way, and people don't judge me for it. Uh, you know, be yourself is, is so diluted, and and yeah, um, not that you're saying it, but what you're saying, it is be yourself is you're saying, uh, be the same person everywhere you go. Amy people, Cuddy puts it this way in Presence, an excellent book. She says it's embracing your story fully. Finding your authentic self is embracing your story. Because so many people want to, uh, I'll just be yourself, be true to who you are, shoot your shot. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I know at my worst, I want. Well, yeah, I'll be myself because around this group of people, around that person, I want to be this person. Around this person, mm-hmm. I want to be that person. You know that, you know. But you know, it's what was drawn to, to pick the man who's my sponsor now. And as you're saying, um, I heard him say one time that his goal in life was to be the same man and everywhere he went. And that, yeah. that was, oh, that's what I want. So liberating. That's what I want to do. I don't yeah, care what so else liberating. I learned from him or what else he's capable of giving me. If he, if he can mm-hmm. teach me that, I can, I, I can do pretty well in this thing. Who was, I can't remember who said this, the most exhausting thing in life is insincerity. That's why so mm-hmm. much social life is exhausting. One is wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. So you think about the exhaustion if you're always on, you're always having to be on. Mm-hmm. You know, you never can be yourself. You're always faking it. And and if you can just say, hey, I just want to be the same person everywhere I go, man, that's a, there's a freedom to that. It's amazing it took psychology till Carl Jung to discover persona. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to give it a name. Yeah. Um, someone asked me a year ago, close to me, what do you want to do? What do you want to be five years? What's your hopes and dreams in five years, 10 years? And the only thing that could come to mind when I first was asked, asked the question, and since then still, that I'm sure about, is that I don't want to have an affair and I don't want to be drunk. And I don't really have another question, another answer to that question mm-hmm. after that. What's the exclusive nature of ministry as a vocation compared to other vocations is that success in it is not judged by what you accomplish, but what you survive. Mm-hmm. So it is not judged by the building you have, the right. bodies you have in the building, the budget you have. It's judged by none of that. 
success is did you just survive? Yeah, <laughs> is your right. character clean? So did you your... did you get on the Normandy beach and did you make it? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how did many did you make it into Germans France? Killed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you make it into? I know. Yeah. And it feels that way, and I think that's one of the things with this situation with Bill. I, I, when you shared with me that story from from uh, you know that story you read from, and uh, you know I think for many of us. Uh, our captain fell mm-hmm. in many ways. Now, as I've gotten older, that's that 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 relationship is less influential, and yeah. you know, I'm old enough now that I'm the mentor, not the mentee as much. But it did feel like, God, like who who's still standing? Mm-hmm. I think there are three people from my graduating class at Cincinnati Christian that are in ministry still. Mm. I think it's three. You know, you just go, gee whiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, can anyone? Mm-hmm. Can anyone stand? You just you do start having those doubts. There are so many forces pulling at you that uh, that when you see someone fall, you go, "Yep, I can mm-hmm. see why that happened." <laughs> it shows the lack of power legal, real legal system has because none of this stuff is is illegal, right? Right. That's right. I mean, men cheat on their wives right. all the time. Women that's cheat right. on their husbands all the time. Yep. No not one illegal. goes to prison. No, that's right. Many people don't lose their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why one in our country, you know, how we've lowered the bar mm-hmm. is maybe one of the most tragic, um, you know, to to take to profane something, to take that which is holy and make it common. That may, that may be the worst thing we do is we take these holy things and as long as I'm not illegal with them, mm-hmm. that's okay. And we're just defaming covenant and we're defaming commitment and legacies and um, I don't know I don't know I know I know I'll go on what Bill said and then he he confessed that he was he put himself in situations he shouldn't mm-hmm. have you know and so he violated his own his own rules of the Billy Graham rule of don't don't be in a hotel room alone with a woman which is the last kind of pattern they found in that article mm-hmm. yeah isolation um what was the la- what was that was, was it was that the, 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 the the fourth trait that they found common in all the pastors was um much of it started with um, oh yeah i counsel- basically working okay. alone with a woman yeah. yeah or um yeah there are all men in the study um so yeah and i think of that as the realtor who's you know who has constant communication with their client you know, mm-hmm. and under very emotional circumstances, that is, you know, yeah. those that kind of work, or the nature of that job, or any other jobs that have that has emotion tied to it, that has um, open lines of communication at all. You know, and um, that that golden rule that you, you, mm-hmm. you, you will not be in a room. Um, I know I had a um, situation where, um, since all this stuff came out, where it's like I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll have a, a coworker with me at all times now, no matter yeah. and what I, age, no matter what I yeah. suspect or don't suspect. I mean, it's it's I'm not doing that. It's Joseph. You know, Joseph when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he ran out of the room. Mm. And so Paul uses the imagery flee immorality, mm. even a hint. Don't even let there be a hint. So I think you're right. You know, for me, if I ever sense. When I, whenever I've sensed that there's a boundary being breached, I shut that down. Mm-hmm. I shut the relationship down. 
And well, as, as this stuff with Bill shows, it, accusation is far greater than evidence. Because yeah. accusation, yeah. you can think as worse as it goes, depending on what side you were yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. You can you and within the the confines of accusation, you are given the benefit of your own idealistic extreme scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people want that far more than yeah. they want truth or they want evidence. Yeah. Because this story would not be would not be very fun about Bill Hybels if we found the truth about it. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what side you're on, or you think no way he did it, or absolutely he did. Um then it, it accuses and that, that is a you know, for someone in your position that's that's terrifying that um that accusation that um so people can make stuff assumption up. is greater than what mm-hmm. is known to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's you have to live the 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 uh I think of that movie about the guy that climbed up the two towers and did the tightrope over, you know, between the two towers. I think more than ever for people in leadership positions, you're walking a tightrope. Mhm. You know, there's not a lot of margin for error. Um so yeah, I, I wanted to share this today because I told I was at I was at recovery group Monday. I I do that about twice a year, you know, the men's recovery group. Mm-hmm. And Howie asked me if I would share this. Author Randy Alcorn wrote an article in Leadership Journal: Strategies to Keep from Falling. And he talked about the exorbitant price of moral failure. He said, "Whenever I feel particularly vulnerable to sexual temptation, I find it helpful to review what effects my action could have." Grieving the God who redeemed me, dragging the sacred, his sacred name into the mud, one day having to look to Jesus, the righteous judge in the face, and give an account of my actions, inflicting untold hurt on Nancy, my best friend and loyal wife, losing Nancy's respect and trust, hurting my beloved daughters, Karina and Angie, destroying my example and credibility with my children, nullifying both present and future efforts to teach them to follow God in obedience. Why listen to a man who betrayed mom and us? If my blindness should continue or my wife unable to forgive, perhaps losing my wife and my children forever, creating a form of guilt awfully hard to shake, even though God would forgive me, could I uh, forgive myself? Forming memories and flashbacks that plague future intimacy with my wife, forfeiting the effect of years of witnessing to my father and reinforcing his distrust for Christians that has only begun to soften by my example, but that would harden perhaps permanently because of my immorality, undermining the faithful example and hard work of other Christians in our community, bringing great pleasure to Satan, the enemy of God, and all that is good, heaping judgment and endless difficulty on the person with whom I committed adultery, possibly bearing the physical consequences of sexually transmitted diseases, perhaps infecting Nancy, or in the case of of AIDS, even causing her her death, possibly causing pregnancy with the personal and financial implications, including a lifelong reminder of my sin, causing shame and hurt to my family and friends, invoking shame and lifelong embarrassment upon myself and losing self-respect. And boom, 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 boom. I mean, nobody ever does that. They sit down, they're tempted to go, okay, now let me go through that list of 12. Nobody ever does that. So you have to, you, you, I mean, that, that's the gift to me that he gave is the shrapnel of your actions goes far wider than you think it does. Mm-hmm. It's far wider than you think it does. And he that list isn't complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are things he didn't even list on there that are implications. I just want to share that because mm-hmm. you know, for myself, for you, for everyone listening, uh, the stakes are higher than you think they are. Whatever you think they are, mm-hmm. multiply it times four. Because mm-hmm. um, th- what, what that goes to is it's, it's not just... 
for those in ministry listening to this. Yeah. You know, those, which is that's just it. like, you yeah, well, you just lose your church and you lose your credibility mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever. You just go find a normal job. No, that's that, that has nothing to do with ministry. That, that has to do with life. And I've heard, that, you know, there's this, they say in AA all the time to stay green. You know, remember, mm-hmm. remember your last drunk and remember your first day sober and all those all those feelings of guilt and shame. And and I've had the privilege of hearing. I know I know all the men... I know men that, you know, I know all those accounts to be true and people I know in my life. And like every one of those things you read, I, I've, I know yeah. that actually happening. Yeah. And that has, has, um, has been a blessing for me just to hear, um, to stay green in, mm-hmm. that, in that matter. Because that's, that's not fiction. He's not just thinking of worst case scenarios, you know, fictional. Those are, yeah. those are probably come from real things he's heard too. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with ministry. That has to do with the, the as it says that's in that right. article, the plumber, the stay-at-home that's mom, right. the realtor, the whatever. realtor. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so it's it's a mess, and you know, life is messy. And and I I do believe in the God who redeems crosses and turns them into gold necklaces, and and God will use this and He'll redeem it. And one of the redemptive actions will be people learning from. Mm-hmm. Mistakes. The interesting thing about our relationship with Willow Creek is we learned more from what they did wrong than what they did right. Mm. They were very open about their mistakes, their train wreck in 1982. And and uh, I think that may unfortunately repeat itself in this situation mm. um, of learning from what was done wrongly mm-hmm. and do better now my son <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so uh, good good dialogue yeah. it's good to talk about it it's, it's where the rubber meets the road mm-hmm. with life and covenants and relationships so until next time on Chucked I'm Charles Braxton I'm with Austin Charles thanks for listening we'll be back next week